The content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. Let's talk about how important behavior is. <laughs> Susan? Matters of behavior. Let's do. So a couple of things wanted to mention. First of all, you know, I had alluded in some of my social media last week that we were going to give you all a surprise this week. And we had two surprises. And unfortunately, one of the surprises wasn't feeling well. And so in the spirit of flexibility, we're going to change um, things. And hopefully you will have a surprise or two within the next couple of podcasts. So, you know, Sissy, I am teaching that graduate class in applied behavior analysis. And I have a friend in San Antonio who's also teaching the same class. It's procedures, ABA procedures. And um, she texted me last week and she said, oh my gosh, is this a thing? And she took a screenshot of one of her students wanting to use positive practice over correction. So basically the grad student had a student, has a child, a learner, who was coloring on the walls. And so as a positive practice over correction, they were going to require the learner to color all over, you know, 10 or more pieces of paper. So I wouldn't necessarily do that because I would be afraid that that would make drawing an aversive um, skill. And we don't want drawing to be an aversive skill to kids. But nevertheless, that was what her graduate student was proposing. And she was funny. She was like, is this a thing? And I said, yes. And I told her about my friend Roberto that I'm getting ready to tell you about. Roberto was a kid. He um, had a really strong teacher and he engaged in lots of spitting behavior. He would spit at adults when he didn't want to do something. And he um, spoke Spanish and English. And so he would spit and then curse, you know, in Spanish and They had tried everything. They had tried positive reinforcers. They had tried, you know, anything they could to get him to stop spitting DROs. They tried, you know, all kinds of things. Nothing was really working. And so I went in and and so I had a good half a day with him. And it was the end of the day, like the second half of the day. So he spit on me and I said, does anybody have a cup? And so somebody handed me a styrofoam cup. And when he spit and spit in Spanish is called a scoop And so when he would spit, I would hold up the cup and say, escupe mas, escupe, escupe, es bueno, es bueno, escupe. And he would look at me and he'd spit at me. And one time he took the cup and he crushed it up because it was styrofoam, which was easy to crush. And I said, can somebody get me another cup? So they got me like a hard plastic and I wrote his name on it, Roberto. And he spit at me and I'd say, escupe, escupe mas, escupe mas. And he was looking at me and he'd run away from me and then he'd run back over to me and spit and I'd hold up the cup, scoop it, scoop it, scoop it, scoop it. He finally, you know, looked at me and said, La maestra's loco. <laughs> <laughs> Which those of you that don't know means this teacher is, the teacher is crazy. <laughs> and so he stopped spitting. You know, it was kind of odd to watch. I'm sure if an administrator had come into the classroom, seeing this lady running, you know, after Roberto with a cup, telling him to spit in it, they would have thought it was crazy. So we got it down. He wasn't spitting. He, the teacher would hold the cup. He would stop spitting on her. He wasn't happy. The para, he'd spit on the para. The para would hold up the cup. And he was just like, he'd stand there and he'd point at us and he'd say, we didn't know what he was saying, but we knew it was choice words um, for us. So I said to the teacher and the staff, do not do this, right? Do not do this because it looks crazy. It seems crazy. 
the only thing that we need to do is see if it decreases the behavior. And so, you know, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave this cup with you and I want you to text me or call me in the morning and let me know, you know, how he's doing. And so sure enough, about nine o'clock the next morning, I get a text from the teacher. She says, he got off the bus and he spit and I held up the cup and he hasn't spit since. And so I'm like, okay, that's great. Nine o'clock, check in with me at noon. Has he spit? Nope, no spitting. So he completely stopped spitting. And Roberto is one of these kids that you just love, you know, he's so fun and he's so cool. And he, uh, gosh, I'm sure he's gotta be a senior in high school now, because this was a long time ago when he was in elementary school. But anyway, the purpose of um, of me doing that was to have him practice spitting, which no kid wants to be told to spit. That's their control behavior. That's what they use to control us. And when we take that control, it's no fun anymore. So, you know, I would not have done that had we not exhausted all positive reinforcers. And I would not have had... Um, um, I felt like the staff, you know, would overuse the procedure, right? Because te- people tend to do that. You know, they get out that cup, spit in the cup. And really, it's not okay to spit in the cup, but it's really not okay to spit at anyone, particularly these days during COVID. So it's one of those extra yeah. procedures that we would use, you know, like I said, only when positive reinforcers have been exhausted and there's data to reflect that, right? Like this teacher had a ton of data that really showed me she really had tried and not just tried for a day or two. She tried, she would do a DRO for a couple of weeks and then she would do a DRA for a couple of weeks. She would. T- she gave him communicative alternatives. I mean, she just tried as much as she could. But the key to a procedure like that, because it is weird and because it looks weird <laughs> and seems weird, is if you don't see an immediate decrease in the behavior, stop using it, right? Right. You know, we would not want to be using that kind of procedure for a week or two before we decided that it didn't work, right? It's either going to work or it's not going to work. Right. And yeah. so, they can yeah. very easily become bad for everyone. You know, the student might yeah. up the ante a bit then, oh, well, okay, then. Look. Absolutely. I do want to back up for just a second because I know that we've mentioned it already, but we talk a lot about DRO, DRI, DRA, all those DR procedures. Yes, sorry. No, it's all good. We're going to set differential reinforcement of other behavior is DRO. Differential reinforcement of incompatible behavior is DRI. And DRA is differential reinforcement of alternative behavior. DRL is differential reinforcement of lower levels of the behavior. So basically, you are reinforcing the other, meaning zero rates of it, if it's DRO, or something that's incompatible, if it is... Or impossible. Or impossible, if you're doing DRA. Or an alternative, when you talked about a communicative alternative they had tried with him, they were trying that DRA, a a communicative alternative for him instead of spitting. And then lower rates, which I think is a great thing for people to think about, is... If a child is spitting 100 times a day, you can't expect them to spit zero tomorrow, even though that's what happened with him. (laughs) Um, That's not typically what happens with with differential reinforcement of lower rates of a behavior. But it's really wonderful. If you say a child is saying 10 cuss words a day and in your house, that's completely unacceptable. And so you set them up and say, you know, and, and, and reinforce them for only saying eight. And then only saying seven, you know, and shaping that down, that's differential reinforcement of lower levels of behavior. And anybody can use those procedures to change behavior. Yeah. 
Um, I think, you know, I think a key to that, well, first of all, you know, remember we talked about, um, we talked about one of our students that we both worked with who put herself on her own DRL, differential reinforcement, yeah. lower rates of behavior for skin picks, remember, and we put yeah. her, got her, the teachers got her down to like four a day. But the thing that I think people forget a lot about all of the DR procedures is the reinforcement part, right? So you're going to reinforce less, right? So if he stays under the predetermined amount of cuss words or skin picks or whatever, then you have to reinforce. And I think a lot of people do DR procedures and forget that piece, right? They forget that reinforcement piece. So if, if Roberto, you know, let's say we gave him a DRA to say, no, thank you, or I don't want to work, or I need a break. The key is, is if they use that alternative, you reinforce it, right? So you give him the break or give him the the time away, give him the the um, absence of the task and things like that. And I feel like a lot of times it's just a DR, a DA procedure or a DI procedure. Like they forget that reinforcement part. <laughs> and one of the things that I always tell like my grad students is that it's easy to remember DRO because like you said, zero, you're reinforcing zero occurrences of behavior, right? So anytime he's not kicking or spitting or biting or pinching or swearing, he gets reinforced. So it's usually based on time. And then a good way to remember DRI is impossible, like you said, right? So if I'm walking through the hall with my hands in my pockets, it's impossible for me to hit another student. Right. But if I'm walking through the hall carrying something as a DR, differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors, you would reinforce the carrying of something. Now, can he still hit? Yes. If he's carrying something, he can still hit someone with it but you would reinforce carrying. And then DRL, you would be looking at lower rates. So let's say he hits, you know, at every transition, let's say then we're going to reinforce, let's say every other transition. And people would really have a, a, that's a hard pill for people to swallow, right? Because we're going to reinforce him even though he hit. So it's one of those procedures that if it's a hard pill to swallow, don't use it, right? Just use something else. There's all kinds of ABA procedures. Um, Because that's the biggest argument that I get from teachers is that, but he's still hit, right? So don't use DRL. Right. Or even with DRO, if you're saying, you know, hitting is the big behavior we're concerned about, but he cussed at the teacher. Well, I'm not going to give him reward because he cussed. We're not talking about the cussing. We'll deal with cussing later. You're very concerned about people being injured. Let's work on reinforcing him for not hitting yeah, that, that's that trying to wrap your brain around what am I working on here and trying to focus on the most important piece right now, understanding I have time. I have time to help this kid sure. stop cussing or stop hitting or whatever the other behaviors are. Be systematic about how we're approaching behaviors of concern. Right. And so exactly. And I think so when we talk about overcorrection procedures, you know, my, my friend's um, student, graduate student who wanted to overly correct the drawing on the wall by having the kiddo draw a paper, um, that would kind of be a positive practice over correction, right? And so again, I don't know that I would do that because it might take drawing, you know, as it might make drawing a negative. Maybe a good um, positive practice over correction. This is, I do this all the time and I see teachers do it all the time. The kid's running in class, running in the classroom. Uh-oh, we are so running in the hall rather. Uh-oh, we need to come back and walk. Let's try that. Let's walk. Oh, let's do it again. Let's walk again. Let's do it again. Let's walk again. If I just had him come back and walk that one hallway, that would be simple correction, right? You're not overly correcting it. But if you have them walk 
three times down the hallway instead of running, then that would be a positive practice overcorrection. There's also an overcorrection that people use when, let's say, the kid tears up his paper. A restitutional overcorrection would be not only does he have to tape his paper back together, but he has to tape 10 papers back together. You know, maybe a better example would be throwing a desk. And so instead of picking up or in addition up the desk, we pick up all the desks, right? That would be like a positive practice or restitutional overcorrection. Am I making any sense? You're doing a great job of explaining a lot of different things. I was thinking about real world example, sort of, that, I mean, besides being in the classroom, obviously the classroom is a real world example as well. But you think about friends, this didn't happen to me, but I know people that it did. Their parent or their grandparent caught them smoking a cigarette and then they just kept making them smoke. Here, smoke, smoke, smoke until they threw up. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That reminds me of those old chic programs for for smoking. Remember those where if you were trying to quit smoking, you would go to the clinic and they would make you smoke like for all day. Do you remember reading about that or hearing about that? I think I have read about that. So again, that's still that an overcorrection because they're trying to push you to the point of hating cigarettes, you know. Right. And you're kind of, when you're your guy that was spitting, you're kind of pushing him to the point of not wanting to spit anymore. Right. But what you said about it was more correct in that you're taking the power out of spitting. Right. Spitting doesn't have any power anymore because now this crazy teacher over here is asking me uh, to spit and spit and spit. So it's funny. So I told my friend that story and she was, and I said, and she was like, oh my gosh. And I said, do you think less of me now? Because I did. She goes, no, if anyone's going to do it, I would want you to do it, but I don't think we should, you know, and it was going on and on, which was a huge compliment to me. But the point is, is that, you know, if you're going to do it, do it so that it it results in a decrease, not because, you know, we're just not going to keep doing something like that. That becomes unethical. Right. And so that's really important to keep in mind is that we have to remain ethical in what we do. And so overcorrection procedures can seem mean or weird, but if it makes the behavior go away, then it wasn't an ethical issue. It would be an ethical issue not to do that. Right. Um, But I think that's just a hard pill for people to, it's just a hard, it's just a weird procedure for people to see and use. And it's very easy to go overboard with totally and become uncomfortable for the student and for you. And so you don't, you don't ever want to hurt a child in the process no. and, and spitting into a cup's not going to hurt a child, but let's say coloring on the pages uh, that maybe the child begins to refuse to color on the pages. So you hand over hand, make them color on the pages and then they begin to resist that. And you, you now have kind of a negative relationship with this child over something you were hoping to help him with. Right. I mean, I might, a kid drawing on the walls, I might have them clean the wall. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would do too, instead of, you know, and it's funny because Roberto, you know, even though he told me in Spanish that I was crazy, he was really my buddy. You know, every time I go into the classroom, I never had a cup with me. I never had anything. And I just paired myself with reinforcers and he was my buddy. Like he likes to see me, you know, he, he, he'd see me and then Kyle even. So yeah. Um, anyway, that's, that's kind of my, my story for the day. He just thought you're crazy. He didn't think you were mean or anything else. He's just like, why is she asking me to spit so much? Yeah. Especially after they had tried, you know, differential reinforcement of alternative behavior and differential reinforcement of zero rates of behavior. And, you know, maybe even pulling social 
attention and, and applying some extinction to it. And none of those things worked. And so there you are going, well, you've pretty much, you have the data to show you've tried all the positives we can find. And this is not yeah. painful or anything, but we're going to, we're going to get in here and see if we can get him to stop spitting. And it worked. Yeah. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Let's see. Do we have a test question? We have a test question. Brayden has been disrupting the class by throwing papers and tipping over chairs. The teacher has him clean the mess up and then clean the rest of the room by putting books away and wiping tabletops. Which of the following procedures best describes this? Is it A, negative reinforcement, B, negative punishment, C, restitutional overcorrection, or D, extinction? Well, we can rule out a couple of those choices, right? Because we have to look at, you know, wish we had known, wish we knew if it actually served to decrease the behavior, but let's just assume it did. So we know it's not extinction because we're not removing the reinforcer, right? We're not removing attention or whatever. And it's definitely not negative reinforcement because we're not increasing behavior, right? Because right. reinforcers always increase. So to me, um, we would be looking at restitutional overcorrection or negative punishment. Well, with negative punishment, we would be decreasing a behavior because punishers always refer to decrease. By removing something. Yeah. Decreasing behavior by removing something. And she didn't take anything away. So we can rule that one out. Right. So I think for that question, you know, you, again, you have to really highlight the relevant information and it would be great if we had the result, but assuming it resulted in a decrease, I would say that it's restitutional overcorrection because you're not only cleaning up the mess you made, but you're cleaning up all of the mess in the classroom. Right. Really, it is the best answer of the choices we have since it doesn't say whether the behavior increased or not. Well, hopefully your test questions <laughs> will have whether the behavior increased or not when you're looking at them, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Yes, restitutional overcorrection, where you're making restitution for what you've done. You are fixing what you've done, but you're, right. you're making restitution as well. Because just fixing what you've done is just fixing what you've done. Yeah, if, you're, if your kid takes $20 out of your purse and you only make him give you $20 back, that's not restitutional overcorrection. No. If he takes $20 from your purse and you make him give you that 20 back, plus you make him earn 20 more by mowing the yard and cleaning the house or whatever it is you're going to come up with, with for $20, that would be restitutional overcorrection and, and helping him understand the importance of his behavior. Yep. And the key is that he doesn't steal from you again, right? If he keeps stealing, then that didn't work. Or it's not stealing, but if he keeps taking money out of your wallet, then that didn't work. So go to plan B. And I think that that's where, you know, some people get hung up and we end up using procedure over and over and over. And, you know, we always say the first sign of insanity is when you keep doing the same thing and expect different results. And so, you know, if the spit cup didn't work, we wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use it again. I wouldn't that wouldn't be an option if it didn't work. So if he came in the next day and he spit, I'd say, take the cup away. Just don't even, don't even do the cup anymore because it's not working. And so we come up with something else, right? 
I was going to say that, yeah, we, we have to remember the consequence pieces, what drives whether or not what we did worked or not, did it work or not. And I think about, and I know you've been in this position too, particularly some of our really high functioning kids, you know, our kids with Asperger who end up going to an alternative campus because of their behavior and loving it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they don't have to socialize with right. anybody. Right. They can sit at their test at their desk and get their work done. So when they go home, they can play video games. They have no homework. Right. And suddenly this thing that is supposed to be a consequence and change their behavior is going to increase the behavior because they want to come right back. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I talk to administrators a lot about that, you know, how's that working for you? Right. You know, how's it working? You you know, he's, he's getting sent to a different campus all the time. So maybe we want to look at plan B, but you know, administrators, they've got these um, bag of tricks and they don't always include their bag of trips doesn't always include some of the things that we do in applied behavior analysis. And so they just keep using those same old tricks and they don't really work, especially for kids like that who don't want any social demand. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to be as fair as possible with the use of the code of conduct, sure. you know, the student code of conduct. And well, I did it for so and so, so I better do it for this student. Yeah, except that what you want is a change of behavior. So let's do something that changes the behavior in the direction that you would like. Yes, absolutely. Well, I hope you liked our story. I hope it made some sense to you. Um, If you ever have any comments about this episode or others, please rate and review on the podcast app that you're using. Have a great day, everybody. See you or talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.